1: Welcome back to part two of our COVID series. This week, we are going to talk about how COVID is affecting service and therapy animals and emotional support animals. First of all, we want to talk about what the difference is between these different types of animals, because some people might feel confusion about them and maybe think that they're all offering all the same type of service.
0: What is the difference between service animals, therapy animals, and emotional support animals?
1: So service animals, they're animals that are trained to help people who generally have some type of a disability. So they're trained to perform different tasks, like being able to reach for something that their handler is not able to get because maybe they're in a wheelchair or they have limited mobility of some sort. They might be able to detect if something is going to happen such as a seizure or a panic attack. They can help to, we've often heard of of guide dogs, which can be both for the deaf and the blind. One can act as a hearing aid for those who are deaf and the other will act as Uh, seeing aid for those who are blind and be able to safely guide them in the public areas so that they can be independent and do what they need to do. There is a large variety of things that service animals can help with. They are quite highly trained Not all dogs or not all animals, I mean, it does tend to be typically dogs, but there have been other animals that have also been trained as service animals. Not all of them are capable of being trained to do these jobs. It takes a special type of animal to do this. And so they have to pass a series of tests and go through rigorous training in order to graduate as a service animal.
0: Yeah. I've heard lots of stories of puppies that failed out of guiding <laughs> eyes for sort the of blind or something like that. <laughs> or like they, they tried and tried and tried and they really had their heart in it, but they just couldn't do it. <laughs> so they, they were failed service animals, but they got beautiful homes and forever homes to give mm-hmm. them a happy life anyway. But yeah, I've heard stories like that. That's so <laughs> Yeah, you
1: have it's
0: it's a very specific dog that can do
1: this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's this is more on the human side of it, but I, there's apparently there's been challenges that have been going on as a result of COVID and the training that is needed for these animals to do these tasks because they require a certain amount of socialization as well being engaged in the public areas so that they could learn how to do what it is that they need to do and with all the restrictions that have been put in place because of this pandemic it's been a real challenge for these organizations to be able to effectively train these animals which is causing a delay for people who are waiting for them
0: wow i didn't even think about that that makes so much sense though there's such a need for these animals. And if you can't properly train them there, I mean, there's a liability involved with the organizations that train the dogs. You don't want to give an owner a dog that is not fully trained or not experienced in a certain way. Cause that can put that person in danger in some way, not by the fault of the animal, just because they just don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting, I never even thought about that. Hmm. Curious. <laughs>
1: So as we mentioned about the different things that they can do, they can help with anything from physical, sensory, psychiatric, intellectual, or other mental types of disabilities. You can think of probably almost anything, and there's a service animal that has been trained to assist with that. It can be a real challenge sometimes for those who have these different disabilities because they're not always visible Mm. and that this can ultimately end up creating...
0: Like lack of trust or confidence in the world around them?
1: Yeah, well, basically having companies organize, like businesses and that, refusing, maybe refusing service to some of these people if they don't look like they really need to have a service animal?
0: Oh, yeah. It's kind of like those people that get mad if you have a handicap placard, but yet you're walking to the pharmacy like a normal person. They just automatically don't think. I'm like, "Uh, no, I have grand mal seizures like twice, three, four times a week. And I don't know when they're going to come. So I can't be parking a mile away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are, we humans, we can judge so harshly. You never know. Mm -hmm. Trust that people are naturally good and they're not trying to gain the system all the time. Mm
1: -hmm. (sighs) No, there are exceptions to that. And we will go into that in a little bit. (laughs) Yes,
0: there are. And they make a bad name for those that really need the help. So stop it, people. Stop trying to gain the system. There are people who seriously need these services. (laughs) off the soapbox (laughs) (laughs) so what types of what types of disorders or issues would be now i'm trying to find the word um what disorders physical ailments would be good for a service animal for lack of a
1: better way of saying it. I don't know why the words aren't coming out, but what What kind of conditions can they help Yes, exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right. Yes. What kind of conditions? Mm -hmm. So we mentioned a couple of them, like seizure episodes. Like if somebody has epileptic seizures of some sort, I just read about, uh, A lady who has anxiety, but she gets anxiety to the point where she sometimes completely blacks out and she'll just fall over. So she's waiting for a service animal to assist her with that, to, to warn her, she's going to have this anxiety attack or to, I'm not sure exactly how the service animal would assist her in that situation, but.
0: It's the energy. They can, they sense the energy.
1: Yeah. So. That's one area it can, they can assist with people who have autism. Mm, they yeah, I've heard that. provide, I think, some kind of like a comfort, like if their situation changes, because from what I understand of people who are autistic, they like everything to stay the same and they don't deal well, well with change. Yes, yeah. That's what I understand about it. And so having a service animal helps them to deal with change better. It's like it offers... A
0: safe space for the autistic person to navigate the world. Mm -hmm. It's that calm in their storm. That's what the animal does.
1: And the the animal is like the one consistent sort of factor that they can rely on. Yeah. Yeah. They can also help with different psychiatric episodes. It's become more known that people with PTSD can benefit from having a service animal.
0: I was just thinking about that. That's something that I I really love. Like a lot of veterans who come home from being deployed, they're Mm -hmm. finding that having a service dog significantly helps their transition period and also their healing.
1: Mm -hmm. And I also know that for different health issues like diabetes, they can help you to know if your blood sugar is going to crash is crashing yeah. or if your blood sugar gets high or something like that. It-
0: yeah, I think the service animals for diabetics, they they detect both. They mm-hmm. detect low blood sugar as well as high blood sugar. But I think the low blood sugar, that's the most dangerous because a diabetic can go down to 40 and go into a coma without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. So if they're not eating properly or they've been distracted, or if they fall asleep and they didn't have enough food during the day, the animal will wake them up. And so they know that they need to take like orange juice or their glucose pills or whatever. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely the blood sugar they detect.
1: Mm -hmm. So there's all of these different types of conditions that they can assist with and I probably don't even, couldn't even guess all of the things that they can help with.
0: I'm sure it's a long list.
1: I'm sure it is. And they're obviously very beneficial. Now, the next animal is therapy animals. Therapy animals are not trained the way service animals are. They're not trained to perform a certain task. They do receive training, but it's more in the sense of how to interact with the people that they come into contact with. They have to have a certain level of behavior because they're going into facilities where they could be working with seniors. It could be going into places like cancer wards and helping to calm children or other people with different health issues, those type of places. And they need to be able to behave in a certain way in order to be accepted. So they, they have to be calm, They have to respond well to commands, that type of thing. They can provide different psychological or physiological therapies to individuals. And I think because of the energy of animals, people who are dealing with different psychological or physical illnesses, they can help people get through those situations better and can maybe in some level actually help with the healing if if it's something that can be healed from, because it's creating that calmness and gives that positive support, even if it's temporary.
0: With some therapy animals, one of the key things that they do is they provide hope Mm, and they provide a connection that they're not getting because they're in a hospital room or they're in a facility that mm-hmm. doesn't allow, or they could be the only one of their family and they don't have anybody to come visit them. So when the animals go into these facilities, they provide hope and they provide that peace and that connection that these people are lacking,
1: mm-hmm. which is such
0: a beautiful thing to me.
1: hmm And that is even a challenge right now because of this virus. Some places may still be allowing therapy animals into their facilities, but it's probably on a um, facility to facility basis. They make the final decision on whether they feel it's safe enough, how much they feel that there's a likelihood of the transmission of the the virus because obviously the handler of the animal has to be there too it's not just the animal by itself that makes sense especially if it's you know a lot of these senior places so many of these seniors have been affected by the virus and so they may have a complete restriction on allowing anybody into the homes because they're not even allowing family members this can be creating a lot of difficulty for, for these people, because now they're, you know, they may have not had any family members that were seeing them beforehand, but they may have at least had contact with some animals and now they don't have anybody.
0: They're isolated.
1: They're very isolated.
0: And we talked last week about the risk of animal catching COVID too. So some of these facilities, especially nursing homes, when they have like full wards that have people who had tested positive, it's just not safe for the animal as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're they're feeling isolated. It's, it's kind of sad, really, for people who are in these facilities because they really, they're not getting the connections that they used to. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the places that would typically go for using service animals in their facility? What type of spaces would that be?
1: Some of the places that you might find, I mean, you've probably... Seen them in places like hospitals and nursing homes. I think those are kind of the more typical places that people are more aware of. But you can also sometimes find them in schools, possibly in the counseling services of schools, maybe. I don't know exactly how they are utilized in schools, but that's one area that I'm guessing might be a place. You can also find them in hospices. Which is a lot like a hospital, so would make sense. Uh, psychotherapy offices, people who are having a lot of difficulties with their their mental health, or they might have these animals, which can maybe help calm them down and maybe be able to stay more present. Again, I don't know the details on how exactly that all works, but
0: animals do tend to offer that sense of calm that people mm-hmm. who are dealing with neural issues they need that like I was saying with the autism, the calm in their storm mm-hmm. the therapy animals will come in and they just all of a sudden animals just have this amazing ability to just calm someone. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's incredible. It's almost magic to me. And I can see that that would be of great use inside psychotherapy facilities. Yeah, I can see that being a good help for them. Mm -hmm. That
1: calm. And animals are so sensitive to our energy and our emotions. They have this sense of something's not quite right. A lot of them tend to, especially dogs, tend to want to try to comfort us. If they see that we're sad, they'll often want to come and get close to us. And sometimes even when we're feeling physically not well, I've heard of people who have something like uh, pain in their abdomen or something, and the animal will come and actually lie down right in that area to, I guess, help soothe the, the discomfort.
0: Oh, yeah, they're amazing. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. I think, I think when it comes to animals in the therapy and the service roles, even in the emotional support animals that we're going to be talking about next, it's magic what these animals can do. It may, it just makes mm-hmm. me so grateful to be working in this space, being able to share this information with you. Animals are magic, they just are. And I don't know, it just amazes me. It just amazes me. So, I will be amazed in silence. <laughs> it's like you go crazy in it, but yeah, I will be
1: amazed. In they're magic. I'm just saying they're magic. They they are. We certainly don't give them enough credit. That's for sure. We don't. <laughs> so emotional support animals are, I think, a fairly fairly new category of assistant animals. It's It's not necessarily a regulated or readily accepted category at this point, because they're not actually trained to do anything. They're essentially just people's pets. And their main role is to provide people with emotional support, a calming presence and some company, Yeah, which I think a lot of people during this time period are really having a strong need for.
0: Oh yeah, I com- completely. I mean, again, animals are magic. They can do so much. Their energy calms us, it balances us. If you need that just extra little help because you're struggling with PTSD, let's say, and not every person with PTSD has an animal that's a certified service dog. There are some that just it's just an emotional support animal, and these animals even though they may not be trained They do so much for our psyche, for our energy. And they, they're they're magic. They're magic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've seen their effect. I know when I have stressful times, sometimes all I need to do is just lay with my cat and it just, the stress just melts away. Mm -hmm. And animals are very intuitive and they know what we need.
1: One of the big differences between emotional support animals and the other two, the therapy and service animals, is that they're not allowed in all public areas. At least they're not supposed to be. It's kind of at the discretion largely of the public place that you are at, whether they will allow it or not. However, there have been allowances for emotional support dogs to be allowed on flights to assist with people who might have an emotional or psychological disability or condition.
0: Yeah. Or fear of flying. Mm -hmm. Again, animals calm. They calm the energy. So if you have Mm -hmm. a connection with an animal, they can definitely calm you if you are in a stressful situation. Like if you are seriously afraid of flying, Mm -hmm. like an animal can be the, I guess, the solution to allowing you to be able to be on that flight without going into full on it anxiety. Mm
1: -hmm. And all three of these areas do require registration. Yes. You can't just decide, oh, my animal's a service animal. My animal's a therapy animal. My animal's an emotional support animal. You do actually have to go through certain protocol to, to get them properly registered.
0: Yeah. And I just did that with a family member. We actually had to go through a process to get her cat as an emotional support cat. It's not something you can just decide. You have to go through channels mm-hmm. and it's not always cheap either. Just saying, not always cheap. Mm-hmm. And a, a service animal, a service animal can cost like 10 grand or more for a well-trained service animal. This is not something to take lightly, not something to try to gain the system. It is These animals are needed. They have jobs and roles and I don't know. If you're a human that likes to gain the system, don't use animals to do it. Just saying, Mm -hmm. just saying. It's not fair to the animal and it's not fair to anybody who is going to be around you. It's just, it's just not fair. Don't do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's become a real big concern that there has been a trend of more fake emotional support animals and service animals. My question is, is, Are you really needing the support or are you just trying to get the perks?
0: Yeah. Are you being selfish? Are you trying to gain the system? If it's yes to either of those, then you're on the wrong side of this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are giving the animals that are doing very amazing work a bad name because you need to get something out of it for you. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm getting on a soapbox. (laughs) I'm not going to do it just have game in the system. People, these animals have a role and a purpose and don't, don't dirty their jobs with your selfishness. All right. I'm, I'm going to
1: just add to it actually. So, okay. All right. Come <laughs> up on the soapbox. Come on. There's plenty of room. It's cause it's not just about you and what you get. You really need to think about how you are affecting other people and other animals because anytime somebody takes advantage of the system in order to serve their own purpose, you're hurting somebody else. Oh, you're, totally. You know, the exceptions that are be- that are currently in place for people who have a service animal, a therapy animal, or an emotional support animal, but in this case, the service and the emotional support animal, they are most likely going to end up losing those exceptions because of people who have these fake emotional support animals and service animals because the thing is you can identify whether one is fake or or not because of their behavior a well trained service animal well at least with a service animal a well trained service animal is not likely going to to get distracted unless somebody is like intentionally trying to interact with them distract them they they listen well to their animals they're not going to lunge at at, at people or other animals and that they're really very well disciplined now emotional support animals unfortunately are not necessarily because there's no specific training on that in that so that is a lot harder to identify And I think emotional support animals are already losing the exceptions that they may have started to gain as a result of this.
0: Yeah, because people are thinking that, oh, well, I'll get a pig. It'll be my emotional service. I'll get a lizard. That'll be my emotional support animal. I mean, Mm -hmm. seriously, come on, people. You're dirtying the reputation of good, hardworking animals and people who need this just, just stop it! You don't need to have a 500-pound pig as a sport animal. You don't need to have a spider as a sport animal. It's just not a thing. Okay, are we done? Can we get off the soapbox now? <laughs> we're done. <laughs> All right, we're stepping down now, and we are off. All right. So yes. we got there's the other work. They're working animals, right? That's another type of animal that could be suffering right now.
1: Yeah, so working animals also have a job to do, and they are also trained, but they're trained to do a job in order to assist humans to do their job better. These can be animals that are like police dogs, or they help in detecting drugs or bombs, or they help with search and rescue, or they could be military dogs. These are different They're also trained for herding and hunting as well. Those are a different type of working dog, but more often it's more the the other types of jobs that you see them doing. So these are the, the four different categories of animals that require a little bit of different special consideration in light of this pandemic that we are going through. We talked about the protocol for pets in general. And after the break, we're going to discuss a little bit about what kind of considerations need to be put into place for these special animals that are in our lives. Keyword special.
0: I will say magic, but special. (laughs) They have jobs. And just like we have been suffering with being furloughed or not having a job or losing our job. These animals are losing their jobs because of the current situation that we're in.
1: And they're more at risk than your average animal companion because they're exposed a lot more.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We can't forget these. These are the unsung heroes that are uh, unable to do their jobs. And then, of course, like we said with service animals, there are people who are waiting for these animals to be trained, but because of the pandemic and because of the restrictions, they can't get their animals. So there's like a waiting list now. So if you're blind, there's a waiting list for a dog. If you're you're deaf, there's a waiting list for a dog. If you're PTSD, there's a waiting list for a dog because they have to be trained. They have to be trained. Mm -hmm. We're going to continue with some of the special considerations that need to be put into place and taken for service and therapy animals. And we're just going to go a little bit deeper into how the pandemic has been affecting these animals and what we can do to help alleviate the issues. So Miranda, what should we begin to think about as far as these special considerations go?
1: The first two things that that you need to ask yourself is what is the level of transmission where you are at? Are there high cases of infection? where you live in the city that you're in or town you're in or whatever, is there going to be a fairly high risk to yourself and to your animal if you take them to these facilities or if they do these different types of jobs?
0: That's a very good point. Know your numbers.
1: Mm -hmm. And the second thing is you want to use your best judgment when you're taking an animal into a location where it could potentially be exposed to the virus.
0: Mm, Nursing homes, hospitals.
1: Mm -hmm. The chances are definitely a lot higher of exposure going to these different places and being around more people. So not only do you have to consider how do you protect your animal from this exposure as best as possible, but how do you reduce your exposure as well? Because you're also going to be there and if either one of you become infected, well, then you also have a higher chance of spreading the infection to somebody else as well.
0: Yeah. Mm. Food for thought. Food for thought. So what are some of the considerations for service animals?
1: Well, for service animals, because they might come into contact with people who have the infection or have a higher risk of coming into contact with it, you want to be more diligent about disinfecting their personal items, such as their collars, their leashes, their vests, if they would have a harness on, uh, other supplies that might be exposed that are not just used at home. I don't know if it's been completely determined yet if they've actually discovered the number of how long the virus can live on inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. So you want to just clean and disinfect as much as possible. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a detergent kind of cleaner. It could just, in a lot of cases, it can either be the washing machine or it can just be dish soap to, to clean with. Now with service animals, typically People should be leaving them alone. So they shouldn't have to be coming into contact with anybody. But if they're in a more crowded situation where it's more difficult to maintain that two meter or six foot physical distancing, then they're within that space where that transmission has a higher chance of occurring.
0: Yeah. And they're also lower than us. So since the virus transmits through our air droplets, the air droplets are more likely to fall on them. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to remember. So we have to keep the, all of their coats, make sure they're clean when you get home. Don't touch them. And if you do, you wash your hands before you touch your face. If you're in a space that you can't stay six feet away, those air droplets are, where are they are going to go? Gravity is going to take them. And they're mm-hmm. going to fall right down on top of your, your service animal.
1: And this might be an even higher consideration for, for those of you who might have a service animal for a health-related issue if you maybe have a respiratory condition already or a heart condition already. Even though your animal may not actually get sick or become infected with the virus directly, it could still get on their fur and you could end up petting them or touching them And then if you touch your face or anywhere around your face, then you have a higher chance of getting sick as well. So you really want to try to avoid as much as possible being in areas where there's going to be lots of people because that's going to increase both of your risks of infection.
0: Yeah. Especially if you have an actual health issue like diabetes or respiratory or heart, Mm -hmm. you're already in a high level of risk factor. Take the precautions necessary.
1: Mm -hmm. And as much as possible, really avoid going into facilities where you aren't able to prevent interactions with people who may be infected. You want to avoid going to places like hospitals and other areas like that made a therapy animal or someplace like that might go to.
0: Well, with service animals, you also have grocery stores. They're yes. always with the grocery stores, subway on a bus, right? You know, service animals are where all of the humans are as well. So
1: mm-hmm. there are
0: many places where you can't prevent interactions with other people.
1: Right. So this is an important consideration for those of you who don't have a service animal. I know the temptation is really high to want to pet these animals and want to interact with them. And you're just distracting them from doing their job when you do that, plus you're increasing the risk. Service animals to this point have not been trained to deal with the health any kind of health crisis or prevention measures. So they don't understand that they have to keep a certain distance. So if you walk near them, like right past them, the dog doesn't know any better. It doesn't know to, to keep, keep their handler further away. So it's up to us as people who don't have the need for these animals to respect the space And make sure that we are providing that distance for them. Good point. So when we talked about the protocol for for your pets in the last show, all of those still apply for service animals. Yes. So you still need to make sure that you're eliminating as much as possible contact with other animals and other people outside the home. And obviously, the exposure is going to be more because of the situation. But just being diligent about cleaning everything, even if it is stuff at home, if the service animal has come into contact with, with something in your home before you've had a chance to clean them off, you know, wipe them down with a proper cleaning material, then you might want to consider also cleaning those items off too until until you've actually got, as much as you cleaned and disinfected, the better you are going to be to not get infected. It just reduces the risk.
0: Yeah. And soap and water does help.
1: Yes. It's been shown that the virus doesn't survive with just basic soap. So it doesn't take any excessive cleaning measures. It just takes diligence and consistency to reduce the risk. I agree. I concur. (laughs) (laughs) With therapy animals, this is a little bit more challenging because of the fact of the nature of their jobs, because their intention is to interact with people. Yes. So this is going to depend again on whether the facility even allows therapy animals right now in them or not. But if they do, you need to consider, are these people that my dog is interacting with likely to be infected with the virus? How high is that risk? And probably even just talk to the people who run the facility and say, okay, can you you tell me who actually has the infection? If they're even allowed to be in the same room with you or not. Because if you know who's been infected, then you know who to keep your dogs away from.
0: And a lot of these facilities do have, they do isolate those that do test positive. So I know with the nursing home that my grandmother was in just last year, they had an entire floor that was completely separated Mm -hmm. where they would put all of the the COVID patients on. Mm -hmm. They keep them separated, but- that doesn't mean that it doesn't go into other areas of the facility. So having that phone call before you even think about going to a facility with the owners, the nurses, whoever, whoever is in charge of the facility, getting all of the information necessary to find out, okay, what are your numbers? Am I allowed to come in? Do you want me to come in? Mm-hmm. Actually, I would say not are you allowed, it's do you want Because the facility should have the discretion of whether to say, yeah, come in or not. Right. So if you call them and say, I would like to donate some of my time, therapy animals, what are your protocols? What are the numbers in your facility? Do you even want me there? Should I stay away? All of these questions definitely need to be asked for each facility that you contact. Mm -hmm. Just knowledge. Knowledge is power.
1: Mm -hmm. So you need to really be careful with, again, your animal's personal items. Ideally, you want to make sure that your animal's items are not going to be handled by multiple people. If at all possible, trying to avoid them being handled by anybody. But if your animal is going to be getting close enough for somebody to pet chances are that person's going to end up touch, touching their collar and maybe part of the leash. So this makes it a challenge because if that person potentially has an, an infection and then the dog goes to another person and they're allowed to pet them, then either the, the dog could end up transmitting the virus to somebody else because they've got it on their, their items, their personal items. It's It's a little bit tricky. You might be able to wipe down and disinfect the the collar and the the leash between each person that's petting them if you have the right product to do that to make sure that it's also safe for the animal as well as for any of the people who are touching them so that's something you want to look into you also want to make sure that nobody is handling items that go into the animal's mouth such as toys and treats there's again that risk of transmission by having contact with the saliva you also want to avoid having these animals lick or give kisses to anybody again with the saliva. Yeah,
0: that's for, I'm sure that's probably tough for some of these animals, especially with therapy animals. Yeah. Because they just they therapy animals, they love people. It's why they do their job. Mm-hmm. And their job is to connect. That's a, that's a tough little thing. It makes me sad for these animals because these animals. I know it sounds really weird, but animals do choose jobs for themselves. Even if we don't give them a job, they choose a job and they like to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. They really do. We're not forcing them to do these jobs. They like to do these jobs. And if they can't do their job, then there's a, there's going to be an element of sadness in the animal because it's not connecting. Mm-hmm. It's not doing a thing. And if it can't lick or kiss or, or love on people, which is what they're good at, It's, it's a tough position for a therapy animal to be in, but, and, and the handler who has to navigate that Mm -hmm. because honestly, the best thing is to just not bring animals into any of the facilities right now, but does that help the animal? I mean, yeah, health wise, it does, but energetic and emotional wise, it does not, but we'll get into that next week when we talk about the emotional impact. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. If you live in a place that is maybe warmer and has areas outside where the people who are in these facilities can can be outside to interact with these animals, that is a much better situation because the, the risk of spread is much lower outside than it is inside because it's not in an enclosed space. Yeah, It's still there. You still have to take precautions, but it's just safer. Much safer. Again, just want to disinfect or clean all of their their personal items at the facility if possible and when you're at home, for sure.
0: Definitely, definitely. What about emotional support animals? They have a completely different job and they're not really interacting with a lot of people on a daily basis. What are some of the precautions that we should take for
1: them? Well, for them, it's pretty much largely the same as for just your average pet, because they're not really they don't need to interact with anyone outside of the their home if if you are insisting bringing your emotional support animal to any public places then you will want to consider the same kind of protocol and precautions for service and therapy animals again their personal items like their collars and leashes could potentially get in contact with the virus and if you allow them to, to get close to other people and let them be pet or lick other people or that type of thing, then there's that risk of transmission again. Just keep them away from other people. They don't they don't need to be around anybody else in order to play their role of emotional support.
0: Yeah, they just need their person.
1: Yeah. That's it. We kind of went into this a little bit in the last show but it's going to add a little bit more to this, is that these places are areas that animals, regardless of whether they're just your average pet, your service therapy, working animal, or emotional support animal, these places are where they can still go. They might need to go to the vet. They might need to go to the groomers. And a lot of vets are doing tele- telecalls where they basically evaluate the situation with you out, you actually coming to the clinic. But of course, if you have to bring your animal to the vet, then you need to to take precautions there as well. Depending on how the vet works, I don't know if all of them are basically keeping animals in in the vehicle until it's their actual appointment time, or if they're allowing people to wait in the waiting room and they're just limiting how many people are in there at one time it might be different protocol for different clinics. If it is where you're going to be in the same situation as waiting area, as other people with their pets, then you, again, you want to keep their distance. You want to prevent interaction with them. And I presume that this would already be taking place, but, you know, hopefully the vet is, you know, making sure that they're washing their hands and doing all that kind of stuff before they're interacting with your animal as well. They better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they do. I mean, it's part of their protocol. Right.
1: Yeah. Groomers is another situation because there are certain animals that seem to to need certain grooming on a regular basis, depending on what kind of coat they have. Not all people are comfortable doing nail trims and expressing anal glands on their own at home. So they would often go to the groomers to have that type of thing done. So you want to limit or prevent as much as possible interaction with people and other animals outside of the home. These groomers are going to be interacting with different animals, so you might want to ask them what their protocol is to help prevent the spread. They should know, but grooming is not a regulated industry either. There could be groomers out there who take shortcuts and don't necessarily do what is the proper thing to do.
0: A lot of people don't realize the risks that COVID has for their animal and the fact that humans... Are the ones that are causing animals to get COVID, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that. So they may not be naturally taking precautions. I would say if your dog doesn't need a groomer, do it at home. Mm -hmm. You can pick up a brush. Your animal may love it. Mm -hmm. It'll be a good bonding experience. It'll be a good connection experience. If they don't need to go, stay home. And I know a lot of groomers are small businesses and they're struggling to but it's not a necessary service for most animals Mm -hmm. use discernment Mm -hmm. and make the best choice for you and your animal, because your animal can get sick. Remember Mm -hmm. that your animal can get sick. It's not the animal transmitting it to another human through their leashes or whatever. They can get sick too. Mm -hmm. So put them first, Mm -hmm. put them first.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think we mentioned this in the last show, but It's not really a great idea right now to let your dogs run off leash at the dog park or, or wherever it is that you might do that. Shouldn't really be anywhere but the dog park, but (laughs) anyways. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep.
0: Only the dog park. Your dog should not be off leash.
1: (laughs) Or an enclosed skating rink or something. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyways, when you let dogs run off leash and there are other dogs there, then there's a good chance that they could end up interacting with other people and other dogs that you don't know whether they've been exposed or not to the virus. So again, you're increasing their their risk of exposure and your risk of exposure once you come in contact with your dog again. And if it's a cat that is an emotional support animal, again. If you're letting them roam outside, you don't know what they're coming into contact with.
0: And you're not letting them do their job. Their job is to be emotional support. If they're roaming, they're not doing their job. Mm -hmm. And are you gaming the system? (laughs) (laughs) Just put it out there. (laughs) Just put it out there. (laughs) If your cat is an emotional support animal, it should not be roaming on its own. It should be with its human. Done.
1: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the last one is the working animals. So with, a, with the working animals, you want to use, consider a combination of the protocol used for the service and the therapy animals, because they may or may not end up coming into contact with other people or other animals, depending on what the nature of their exact work. And again, because of the nature of their work, they may not, you may not be able to prevent this contact because it's not just about comfort and that. It's, they're doing work that is highly involved, requires a lot of detail. And if you stop them from doing what they're doing, well, then you could be causing a more serious situation. For example, an animal who is able to, to sniff cancer and detect cancer in somebody. They obviously have to get pretty close they to have, that person. They smell it, right? They smell it. Yeah. There's yeah. something in their
0: olfactory nerves yeah. that sense the cancer. I
1: think it's actually their breath. I think it's something on their breath that they smell. Okay. Is what I, re- I think I remember reading. And with police dogs, well, police dogs will sometimes be running and going after a suspect. And who knows- where that suspect has been what kind of contact they've had so you can't really prevent the interaction the way you can with some of these other animals so they have to have there has to be more consideration for them and for their handlers because there is a much much higher risk of exposure
0: Yeah, especially with search and rescue dogs.
1: Yeah, that too.
0: Because their job is to find the human.
1: (laughs) Right. tracking
0: and whatever. But to find the human, to dig them out, to do whatever they, you know, they may end up being in contact with somebody. Say there was a natural disaster. Somebody has the virus and the dog is trying to search for them. Yeah, there's a lot of ways that a search and rescue and a tracking dog can be affected.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. The handlers need to actually be much more aware of what they are doing and probably want to consider wearing gloves along with the masks and that to better prevent the spread because you're not necessarily going to be able to wash your hands on the job every single time, you know, especially if you're in your police car all the time. You might you could have hand sanitizer, I guess. But still having gloves would have added protection and then just using the hand sanitizer in between when you can. You also want to make sure you're disinfecting all of their, all of the supplies that come into contact with the dogs.
0: Yeah, that goes without saying. It doesn't matter what you're doing, people. Mm -hmm. Working animal, if you have a working animal, if you have a support animal, emotional support animal, if you have a service animal, a therapy animal, just keep everything clean Mm -hmm. and you don't have to go crazy. Soap and water will work, but those surfaces are going to be the the highest level of transmission. So make sure no matter what you're doing or what your animal's job is, that you keep track of all of their stuff and disinfect and clean all of their stuff
1: daily, I would think, right? Daily. Daily. Yeah. And even more frequently, if it's even possible. Yeah. If you have the opportunity to do so. Because there is the higher potential, I mean, this should this is a good thing to do with any of your animals regardless, but with the higher potential of the exposure for working animals in certain jobs that they do, is you really want to monitor them daily for any signs of changes in their health. So we talked about before, if you'd listened to one of our previous episodes, we talked about having a spreadsheet or a journal where you... Daily record how your animal is doing. That way, you can easily look back and be able to see if there was any changes because sometimes it could be subtle. And when we just try to keep it in our minds, we may not necessarily notice those changes. So if you have it recorded, then you can maybe say, oh, okay, well, they ate this much on this day, or they this many times on this day and this day they ate less or maybe they had an upset or something like that and you can monitor those different things that maybe normally you would say oh well you know not a big deal but when you've got a track record then you can start to see if there has been shifts or if there's just been a one off situation and then if you do need to talk to your vet then this helps them to understand better what's going on because you've got this specific information that you can give them.
0: Yeah, journaling, I think, oh, I said it last, last episode. I think that is one of the best things that somebody can do is to monitor their animal and keep track of it. And if you have a working animal, oh my goodness, the awareness, just the awareness alone is going to help you keep that animal safe. I, I just love it. I I, just love it. I never heard of it before until last week, but I think it's, it's just such a wonderful thing. I think we're going to create an animal files journal, pet journal. Ah, yes. I feel it coming. So <laughs> stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to close this, we just want to let you know that there is more information out there. We've given you a lot. There's so much here. These animals are very special animals and they need to be taken care of as best as we can take care of them. The Humane Society does have a COVID FAQ. So if you go to www.humanesociety.org, there is a document there that you can look at if you have any other questions. I'm sure there's probably something on the main page that can link you to that.
1: Yeah, and if if not, they might also have a search bar where you can just type in COVID or something, and that will bring up probably any information that they have on their site.
0: Uh, yeah. Just, yeah, go to homemadesociety.org and I say yeah a lot. I'm sorry people, but... <laughs> But HumaneSociety.org they do have resources for you if you have any further questions. Mm -hmm. So I think we've we've pretty much covered all of our information today. We got any last thoughts?
1: Just to reiterate it's just be aware of where you're bringing your animals and what they might be exposed to and how you can reduce that exposure and just clean disinfect as much as you can.
0: And monitor and monitor I like yes and monitor <laughs> 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 all right well so hope you enjoyed our show today next week we are going to continue the conversation and we're going to talk about the emotional impact that the pandemic has had on our animals both working and also our companion animals that's going to be a great show i'm sure we'll have a lot of fun so join us next week and uh Have a wonderful day, people. Have a great afternoon and enjoy your week. And we'll see you back here next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.